one thing. What is the secret to life? Everybody's trying to figure that out. But if we dig into the Word of God, we'll find that there is one thing that is important. And we're going to enter into a new series this week, beginning with one thing desired. But what is the one thing that, that we are to desire? King David discovered it. And I think many would agree that, that while he was living in exile, uh, while the rebellion was going on within the kingdom, his passion, his desire, I mean, his, the longing of his heart and the hunger for his soul was to be in the house of the Lord. And he wasn't able to be there because there was a, a revolution that was taking place within his kingdom and his son, Absalom, was trying to overthrow the, the throne and so he was in exile for a while, and, and rather than fight his son, he, he just left. But yet, as he's gone, he's got this desire that's just eating him alive because he can't be in the house of the Lord, the tabernacle that was there in Jerusalem, in which he could go in and worship and offer up his praise and his offerings to God. He wasn't able to be there because they, they'd go after him. And so he was hiding out and away for a time. Nothing else in life would satisfy or could compare to the comfort and the peace, the security and the strength of being in that place with God. And I think that's what our parents today are hoping that they can instill within their children, a desire to know and to love being in the house of the Lord and not to forsake that. We've got to come together to worship God and so these parents have come together today with a strong desire to see that their children are raised in the house of the Lord. But desires are only desires until there are steps that are taken to achieve them and to put them into practice in life. Psalm 27, verse 4, David writes these words. He says, there's one thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. In Psalm 42, another psalm is written that says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There is this desire to be within his presence. And David, he, he just anticipates every moment that he can be there with God. Now, in Psalm 27, David has expressed this desire to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord. And this morning, I want to challenge us to have that same kind of thing, to search out our desires of our heart and see if they are what, where they need to be when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Are we hungering and thirsting after Him and after the knowledge of who He is? So I want to share with you a few things. First off, I want to share with you the good and the bad of our desires. We have both good desires and bad desires. I mean, that's just how we're made. So what is it that we desire? Well, Huffington Post, back in December 6 of 2017, posted an article of 10 things. It says the title was, Top 10 Things People Want in Life But Can't Seem to Get. So what are those top 10 things that they think they really want, but they just can never achieve? Well, the first one is this, happiness. We all want to be happy, 
But the challenge is, it's not knowing really what I want to do that's going to make me happy. Because people are thinking it's usually something outside of them that's going to bring them happiness in life. The second thing is money. That would make a lot of us happy if we had a lot of money, wouldn't it? But the problem is, here's the biggest challenge, money is not having, having enough time to accomplish the things that we want to do to achieve it because we're going to have to work like crazy to get it. And it's fascinating to me that no matter what we earn, no matter how much money we have, really it seems like it's never enough for the average person. There's always just a little bit more and we might be satisfied, we might be happy. The third thing that we seem to get, people seem to get in America, is freedom. But the biggest challenge for freedom, the article said, is having the freedom to find my true purpose or being lit up by the day-to-day work. I mean, we all want it, yet many people are resistant to what it takes and what is required to get the freedom. They want to feel free, yet they are scared to muster the courage to do what's necessary to become free. Fourth, they said that peace is what people are desiring, but they just never seem to get peace because the biggest challenge is this. It's a lack of clarity about who I am and what my purpose is in life, and so I'm never at peace with who I am. We all long for peace desperately, peace from the noise and the clatter and and the pressure and responsibilities. We just want take a deep breath, don't we? We also want peace from the pain And just that thumping inside us that's driving us to do things, the conflict that's there that we strain after, and we we maybe even inflict on ourselves. And every minute, just to be better, stronger, smarter, thinner, better looking, whatever it is, we're doing everything we can, and we're never satisfied and have peace. Fifth is joy. We all like to be joyful, don't we? I mean, we, we want that. We're searching for it. But somehow... The average person is not able to grasp that. And the biggest challenge is how to find the right role or or position in life that's going to bring me joy. We're not able to separate who we are from what we do. And so when you're stuck in work that you hate, maybe when, when you're with people that you don't respect, supporting outcomes that seem wrong, then your life seems just not to find the joy that you so desperately want. Sixth, they say, is balance. The biggest challenge, however, they say, is balancing my need and my desire for flexibility while making enough money and having the benefits that I want. It takes understanding our non-negotiables, the things that we we won't say yes to because we're not going to do those things. And then living from that knowledge and making the right decisions that are kind of aligned with our top priorities of life. And if you can't do that, then you can create and sustain balance. But somehow our lives seem totally unbalanced and they're just going crazy. Seventh is fulfillment. They say that the biggest challenge for having a fulfilling life is utilizing my potential in its best possible way for myself and for other people. Eighth is confidence. A lot of people lack confidence. They lack confidence, they say, because they they feel like they have something to offer, but they really don't know how to put it out there because they feel like they're not good enough and other people may not look at them as if they have the ability to do those things and they're just not ready. And so we only need to see really what's at the tip of our noses 
And that's all we focus on. We don't look way beyond those things and can see ourselves achieving something in the, in the end. We just don't have confidence for it. The ninth thing they say that we're missing is this, it's stability. And the biggest challenge on stability is figuring out what we're going to do next to keep me afloat and bridge the years that are later to come. And finally they say, passion. Passion. But yet the biggest challenge there is overcoming feelings of ineptitude, negativity because of setbacks in life. Now, they also said that passion is something that can demand a high price. A price of, of wrapping up your entire entity around a certain direction, including your checkbook, your marriage, your health, your family, because you can't not pursue it. They said that passion can be tapped and uncorked for sure, but only when you allow yourself to believe that your life and your work means something more than merely exist, existing from paycheck to paycheck and doing the secure thing in life. <clears throat> but I think the problem all comes down to this out of these 10 things. People are trying to achieve these desires through things and through other people rather than through God Himself and the way He gives us to us. The Bible makes it very clear that we each have evil desires as well as good desires. Paul makes a list in multiple letters that he writes of things that you should not do, things that you should avoid. And he, he, he lays those out there, and then he also puts in there the things that we should go after. I mean, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, you find this listing there of things that we should not be doing. They should not be a part of us, but yet we keep going after them. And then he says the fruit of the Spirit is something a little bit different. And so those things we should desire. You and I, we need to learn how to cultivate our lives in a proper way that's going to bring us the desires. And the only way that happens is when we begin to focus in the right direction and we begin to live in the proper way and manner which God has designed us to live. The issue that we have is that we are controlled by our desires. And our desires sometimes are not healthy and they lead us down the wrong path. And so we even have the, the book of James chapter 1. James tells us this in verse 14 and 15. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that's why we're told in Proverbs 4.23 to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We need to guard our heart because... Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus tells us. Out of the heart, the action of life moves us forward or backwards. And so we need to guard our heart so that things don't grab it and take it in a way that, that's going to be destructive to us. If we choose evil desires, they will steer our lives away from God and down, down to ruin. But if we choose to set our desires on the things of God, our lives will be filled with satisfaction we will find the fulfillment, we will find the balance, we will find all these things that we're searching for because Christ is going to bring that to us. The joy and the contentment and the peace and the patience and everything that's out there. Let's look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, if then, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. But our problem is we see things here on earth, and that's what we focus on. We don't focus on those things that, that we're, just don't seem like we can ever reach or grab a hold of. But Paul says we need to stop looking at things here because this world is not going to bring us satisfaction. It's not going to bring us contentment. It's not going to bring us joy. But the things in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that's where we need to focus. Jesus told us where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure needs to be in heaven. That's what we ought to be looking forward to. And so we need to choose to set our hearts and minds on the right things. God, His Word, and His involvement, His providence in our lives. Now the second thing that we need to do is we need to desire God above all else. We need to desire God above all else. That's not easy, is it? Because our, our flesh and our, our humanity, we want things that make us feel good. We, we want to experience things that, that just excite us. But we need to set our hearts on God and desire Him above all other things. Jesus made that very plain when He was talking with His disciples. Unless you're able to forsake everything... Put everything aside, unless you're willing to allow everything to be gone, and you take up your cross and follow me, you're not going to achieve that. David put his desire for God above all things, and so that's what he was writing to us there in Psalms. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, Luke records for us this. He says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David a son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David became this man who hungered and thirsted and, and just lived for God. So much so that now, looking back on him, God says, he became a man after my own heart. This is the kind of guy that I want, this guy who's going to do what I'm asking him to do, and he's going to apply it in his life. David became this man, but, but sometimes I have trouble believing that when I read of David's shenanigans in the Bible. I think, how could, how could that guy be declared a man who is after God's own heart because he was after everything else, it seemed like? He had his desires and his hopes on other things that he should not have had. And yet God says, oh, boy, but he, he, was, he was coming after me. He wanted to do my will. Psalm 63, 1, we have this recording of David. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. And then in Psalm 143.6, it says, I stretch out my hands to you, and my soul thirsts for you like parched land. Have you ever been thirsty? Hmm? Ever been really thirsty? Just a little bit of water? Wouldn't that be good? You know, in a parched land, Jesus tells a, a story about a man, actually two fellows, they both died. 
One went to paradise, the other went to Hades. The fellow in Hades, he's thirsty. All he wants, just a drop of water. Just a drop of water. David was this kind of man. He was so thirsty and so hungry for, for God to be with him and to be around him, to earnestly seek him. God says, that's the kind of man that he is, a man after my heart. David became a man who worshipped God. We've got all these psalms that were written, and, and there's probably more. You can imagine him as a young boy sitting out there watching his father's sheep, and he's got his musical instrument out there, and he's kind of playing his guitar, well, his lyre. You know, and he's, he's making up songs as he's there. And he continues to do that throughout his life. When Saul is going crazy in his mind, it was only the music of David and singing these psalms that would calm him and bring him peace. Whenever he's struggling and worried about things, he goes and he picks up the musical instrument, he starts to write, and he starts to sing again. And he worshipped God, and he discovered God as his best friend, and God as the lover of his soul. Could you describe God that way? As the lover of your soul? And he is. In response, David loved God's word more than his daily bread. And he meditated upon God's word day and night. And he wrote songs that offered praise to God's word. And whenever he needed counsel, he first would turn to the word of God and search that out before he would make a decision. Are we that hungry for the Word of God? These children that are going to be raised in these families, I pray that they learn to hunger and thirst for the Word of God. When the child comes in after a hot day, one of the first things you know is they want something to drink. I want some water. I want some milk. I want something. They want something to drink because they are so thirsty. Wouldn't it be great if they ran in saying, I need the Bible. Can you read for me? That is what is going on in David's life. And are we hungry for God that much? Do we love His Word more than we love our daily bread? That the first thing that you want to do is read the Word of God before you even get breakfast that morning. Before your midnight snack. Yeah, you've been there. It would be great to, to feast on His Word. Jesus even said, man does not live on bread alone, but on the Word of God. It's obvious that David really wanted to please God. And one additional step David took was to find out what would please God, and then he would do it. Listen to what it said there in Acts 13, 22. I found in David a son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. When he discovered what God wanted, then he was going to try and accomplish that. He set out to fulfill the will of God. Loving God is more than just a feeling. It takes action. Loving God puts shoes on, and goes to work. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14. If you love me, you keep my commands. Love requires action. Then later on in that, in that chapter, in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then the disciple named John wrote how we can experience that ourselves. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1-3, through 3, he said, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Do we love God most of all in life, that we're willing to do whatever He wants us to do? We're going to put His will to work in our lives. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask. We've got to raise our children that same way, don't we? We want them to be obedient to us. We want them, don't just say, yeah, mom, I love you. Dad, you're it, man. And then they go do something totally different. They don't obey us. That does not, that does not show love and obedience. We cannot show our Father in heaven love and obedience when we don't do His commands and we do what pleases us. David built himself a beautiful, luxurious palace. But the Ark of the Covenant was still outside in a tent in the tabernacle. The more he thought about it, the more he purposed in his heart that he was going to build a house for God. But God said, no, you're not going to get to do that. Your son will get to do that. But David began collecting resources so that that could be accomplished. Listen to what he said in Psalm 132. Uh, Solomon is possibly the one who wrote this. He's writing this maybe about his father. He says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Because David cared more about God than he did about himself. And even more about, he called, God calls him this man after my own heart. I challenge you, put God first. Desire Him above all things. And the last thing is this. We need to prepare our hearts to desire what is best. Failure to prepare often leads to destruction. It leads to, it leads to failure if you're not prepared for something. And so David's grandson, Rehoboam, when he becomes king, he fails. And the kingdom is destroyed. Listen here in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 13 to 14. King Rehoboam... He grew strong in Jerusalem and he reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And he did evil in the eye. And he did evil for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Two generations, and in two generations, the nation is falling apart. We can almost look at our own nation that way, can't we? Every one of us is under an obligation to make sure that we long for God, for His house, for His word, for His will to be done in our lives. And a way we do that is we, we spend time in prayer with Him. We spend time reading His word. We spend time applying it in our lives and instructing it to other people. We, we move ourselves in the fellowship with God because after all, we are 
a part of the family, are we not? We are the bride of Christ. We need to develop daily disciplines. And if you've not done that, maybe it's time you start. It's never too late. That you need to learn that daily you're going to spend time in prayer. Daily, you're going to read the Word of God. Daily, you're going to try to do things that are going to be obedient to Him. Daily, you're going to share your faith with somebody else. You, you have to live a life of faithfulness to God. We can't just say, I believe, and that's it. James says, it's great that you believe, but the demons even believe. At least they're afraid. They tremble. You can't have faith without some action behind it. Our faith has to be motivated and we have to do things. We need to closely monitor our spiritual temperature and to see where we are so that we don't become, as Jesus says, lukewarm or even cold. Settling for less isn't satisfactory in the church. You see, there's an unseen danger that is shared by many people. The opposite of desire is satisfaction. When we're just satisfied, uh, enough's enough. Well, I got a little bit of it. That's fine. We've got to do more than just find satisfaction. Thinking that we have all we need in life apart from God just isn't enough. As Americans, we are blessed. I mean, we're rich compared to a lot of places around this world. And, and, and you know, even your little humble abode is probably better than a lot of houses, a majority of the world in which they live in. We have been blessed. We have great health care. We have amazing houses. We have unbelievable entertainment. We have plenty of food to spare. We are especially susceptible to the dreaded disease of satisfaction. We're okay just where we are. But that was the problem of the church in Laodicea. And so as John is writing his letter of what he's seen in heaven that God has given the vision, in the middle of that vision he is told... I want you to write a letter to these seven churches. There's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff. But when he begins to write to the church at Laodicea, listen to what he has to say there in Revelation chapter 3. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may be clothed yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I repuve, reprove and discipline to be zealous and repent. <coughs> you see, spiritual satisfaction, <coughs> pardon me, spiritual satisfaction is our deadly enemy. <coughs> we must never think that we have it all. Because God has so much more planned. But if we stop being in fellowship with Jesus and we start relying on our own strength and our own abilities, our own finances, our own wisdom, we're going to end up on the brush pile to be burned. 
And that's what Jesus tells us. If we don't remain in Him, and by remaining in Him is being obedient to Him, then He says it's like the gardener that comes and prunes off the branches and throws them away to be burned. We've got to be faithful to Him in all things. We need to adopt the attitude that the Apostle Paul had when he said this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8-14. through 14. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible... Did you catch that? By any, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this. I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had experienced so much with God even before he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. He saw God was someone that he should pursue, and so he did diligently, becoming a Pharisee, becoming a student of the, of the law and of the Word, and being able to understand what God was wanting, but he kind of missed the mark when it came to Christ and the Messiah until he was confronted. Paul experienced then after his relationship with Jesus probably more than we'll ever really understand or even know. The things that he had to endure, what he had to give up in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Yet he said that he hadn't arrived. He wasn't satisfied with his relationship with Jesus where it was. And he knew that there was more to him and he wanted to follow him no matter what the cost. <clears throat> For us to possess that type of attitude is the equivalent to showing an indifference to Christ. We need to seek more than just what we have in Him. Because He wants to bless us with so much more. But sometimes those blessings come through heartache, through struggles, through trials. James will then write later on, Consider it pure joy, my brothers when you face the trials of many kinds. What are we desiring? So I challenge you this morning to step up to the standard of David and Saul's desires to allow your heart to be passionately possessing Christ. Allow Him to take control of your life and, and to, that you, you just can't wait to be there with Jesus one day. That you look forward to it and you anticipate it. Paul says, for me to live, that's Christ. To die is gain. He looked forward to his death because he knew it would be so much better. But until that time, the best thing for him to do was to live for Christ in this world, to win more people to him. 
There's a story about a proud young man who came to the great Socrates one day, and he was, he was attempting to gain knowledge and wisdom. Young man walked up to Socrates, and he says, Oh, great Socrates, I come to you for knowledge and for wisdom. And Socrates, recognizing a pompous fool, he says, Follow me. So they headed down through the city, down to the Mediterranean Sea, and they walked out into the sea about chest deep. And then he asked the young man what it was that he sought. And the young man replied, knowledge. I desire knowledge. So Socrates put his strong hands on him. He pushed him under the water. He held him down there for 30 seconds. And he brought him up. And sputtering, <laughs> Socrates again asked him, what is it that you seek? And he says, I, I seek wisdom. Oh, Socrates, wisdom. Socrates shoved him back down again. 30 seconds. 35 40 seconds. Then he brought him back up. As the man arose, gasping for breath, Socrates asked him, What is it you seek? As he was trying to catch his breath, he said, he said Socrates, I, I seek wisdom. I seek knowledge. And before he could say anything else, Socrates shoved him down one more time, and this time held him down a lot longer. And finally he pulled him up. He asked him, what is it that you desire? The young man said, air. I need air. And then Socrates made this comment. When you desire knowledge and wisdom as much as you now desire air, then you will begin to possess it. Now, I need you to listen to me and understand this. We need to desire God more than anything. More than the breath of life itself. That's what's going to make a difference in your life, in your children's life, in your grandchildren's life, and so forth and so on. We've got families that are saying they're committing themselves to raising their little ones to know Jesus to hunger, and to thirst for Him. And I pray that they will have that type of desire built within them. That there is nothing else in this world that they would want other than a relationship with Jesus. That they would be willing to give up everything, to sacrifice all things, to surrender it away and follow Him. But the problem is, we're rich. We're rich with the things in this world. And many times people walk away saddened because they can't give it up and desire only Him. Can you honestly say, as the psalmist says in 139, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, are you hungry for God? Do you thirst after Him? I mean, is, is there anything that, that this world has to offer that would take you away from trying to spend time with Him? That's the most important thing that we can do, is to focus our hearts on Him. Maybe you have secrets which you hope God will never notice. He's already seen them. 
Maybe you have desires of things in this world that you hope he never notices either. He knows they're there. But what he asks that you and I would be like David, even in our messy world in which we have created for ourselves, that somehow we would still be a people who, who go after the heart of God. And we're going to be unstoppable in that. Finally, have you made it your life's ambition to make God pleased by how you live your life? The time for us to do that is now. The worship team wants to come up. I want to challenge you to put God first. I don't know what that's going to take in your lives. I know what it takes in mine. And I know that sometimes my focus goes off of him and it goes on to other things. But up to today, I've been able to refocus and get back in alignment. And I want it to be my focus daily. But it's hard. But he promises you, if you stay focused on him, and if you stay in relationship with him, if you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength... That's the greatest thing you can do. What are you willing to do? Maybe you need to say, I want to do it. I'm going to put the world behind me, and I'm going to accept Christ. You're going to confess Him as your Lord. You're going to proclaim Jesus as your Savior, and you are going to submit to whatever He asks. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to sign over your bank account because where you've been spending your money hasn't been godly. Maybe you need to surrender your house because it's become your God or your job or whatever it is. We've got to put Christ first and we've got to desire Him. There's one thing that we desire. That one thing what is yours? Is it Christ? Let's stand and sing.